hey there, everyone. This is Dave DeVoe. Welcome to this episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. And today it is my pleasure to be interviewing and chatting with an old friend, July Ono. July, how are you doing today? Awesome. 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 Thank you. So if you have not had the pleasure of meeting July, learning from July, reading one of July's books, taking some training from July. She is an amazingly astute real estate entrepreneur. And July and I met way, 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 way back when, in I say 2003, July says 2004. She's probably right, because she's got a better memory than I do. But bottom line, we were at a T. Harvecker event with 700 people in there, and I don't know what we were doing, breaking boards or doing something wonky. We were part of this working together as a little group. And at that time in my life, I was the, you know, how many business cards can I hand out and collect kind of guy. So I was making a very, very awkward attempt at networking, not doing it very well, and, you know, really not following up with anybody. So I had a shoebox full of business cards I did nothing with. And July really stuck out because we met and we did the, the card thing and I forgot all about it. But July said, okay, Dave, I'll follow up with you early next week. Is that okay? And I said, sure. And I promptly forgot all about that and jumped in my little I buy houses minivan and tore off through down loops again. <laughs> and sure enough, two or three days later, I get a phone call. And who is it? But it's uh, July Ono. And uh, we had a nice little conversation. And July said, well, Dave, would you mind if I, uh, or would you like if I added you to my mailing list? And I said, sure, why not, July? And at that time, July was doing a monthly electronic newsletter. So whether it was 2003 or 2004, but bottom line, every single month without fail, I got a lovely update from July. And that always stuck in my mind, what a difference. What a schmuck I was being doing the networking the way I was doing it and how well July did it. Now, fast forward 15 years, and I believe July at that time, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were just really kind of getting started with real estate investing. I think you only had a couple of a couple of deals under your belt relative to how big you grew your portfolio. So remind me, how, roughly, if you can remember around that time, how many properties would you have had at that time? Hey, 2003, that was our first, uh, port, uh, what, 63 unit in Fort St. John. And 2004 was a 66 unit Fort St. John's, 129 units. So in 2001, right. 2002, I had a fourplex in Fort St. John, a fourplex in Prince George, and a nineplex in Chetland. Right. So she's just getting started. Fast forward a decade or so, and July built up the portfolio to well over 524 units. Pardon me? 524 units, about 12 properties in Prince George, Fort St. John, and Thunder Bay, Ontario. So it definitely worked. All that networking definitely worked. And I won't take away your thunder, July, because I'll have, have you tell us briefly how you got started in real estate, because it is one of the most inspirational stories I know of and, and one that I've repeated, hopefully correctly, quite a few times, because I use you as a, a <laughs> example of, hey, you know, you can start from a little bit behind the eight ball and, and still definitely take massive action, get successful in real estate. So, July, let's get started. Just tell us a little bit about where you're at and how you got involved in real estate investing in the first place, if you would. Well, it was a D word that started the whole thing, Dave. Divorce. So hey, I know that D word. Yeah, for sure. 
and it also another B, devastated by life. So back in two, oh geez, way back in 1995, I lost my husband, my first husband. I lost my job. I lost um, everything in six month window, and so I had to reinvent my life. And that's a huge trauma when you have no job and you have no house, and my husband's gone. And so I ended up moving back home with my parents, lived in a basement suite, downsized. And it was uh, quite the humbling and very humiliating experience for me because I, I think I was around 35 years old and I had the vision of being the millionaire at 40. And I totally wasn't expecting that setback. And I realized I'd gone through university, I'd gone through school, get a good job, you know, get good grades. And it's like, what a bunch of bunk that is. I said, no. Totally doesn't work. I have to go and do something 180 degrees different. And so I said, everything I want to do and didn't do, I'm going to do. And my parents were very supportive. They just wanted me to be happy. Nice. And so the first thing I did was I enrolled myself into acting class. And it was so scary. I was just scared shitless, actually. I don't know why I was doing it. But guess what? Going into acting was the, the foundation of becoming a public speaker later. Right. And you know what acting really is all about? Get this. It's all about how to be authentic and <laughs> And I said, what? I was trying to pretend to be somebody else. And they're going, not really. That's not how real acting works. It's about tapping into your truthfulness, tapping into your authenticity, being that person in that particular situation. And so for eight years, I'm practicing breath work grounding, breath work, grounding. <laughs> and guess what? Breath work is what you need as a public speaker. And the authenticity is what you need to convey to people that you really are sincere. Mm -hmm. And people can see insincerity on the screen. The camera doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. And it's horrible when you see yourself for the first time being filmed because you're, you're seeing what you're not. It's uh -huh. very, very awful. It doesn't, there's no congruency. Right. And I go, wow, if the camera can see that, that means people can see it way better. And that's why I would attribute the acting classes to um, a great foundation of always staying in the now, being in the present with people, not going too far ahead, always mm -hmm. being here for that person, for you. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do with my investors, by the way. I'm not going in the future, anticipate what they're going to say. I allow them to be them and I'm present with them as they're speaking. And because as an actor, you have to listen to your uh, other actor in order to respond. And you don't know what they're going to do. And your responses have to be truthful in that moment. And so same thing with your investors. Don't try to push them, manipulate them. Let them be. Let, uh, they, you know, a lot of investors are afraid. Mm -hmm. They're skeptical. They don't trust you. Everyone's after the money, right? They've had bad experiences. And so the best thing that you can do is simply listen and really listen. I'm good at taking notes. Mm -hmm. And so what is their number one concern? Address it. Right. Don't put it under the rug. And I, when I'm mentoring people saying, July, I can't get any investors. And it's like, okay, give me your two minutes. Let me see your presentation. And I'm usually within 30 seconds, I'll say, stop, stop. You know what? You're not even listening to me. Uh, They're talking at me. Right. 
You haven't even asked me one question as to what are my investing goals. Mm-hmm. You're only concerned about yourself. No wonder people shut you off in the first 30 seconds, because I certainly did. And I said, stop, get present. And I said, your spiel means nothing to me. You can have the deal of a decade, but I already know you don't care about me. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And I, I usually ask them, do you want the truth? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what's wrong. And I know exactly why people don't give you money. It's simply right. because they don't trust you. When your agenda is more important than their agenda, they simply won't give you money. Yeah, that's very deep. So we got off on a tangent already. So yes, on <laughs> you've gone through six months of hell. Taking, yes. You're taking acting classes. How does that lead into creating so, an amazing real estate portfolio? The acting classes helped me uh, become a better networker. Right, okay. Up to that, I was a hermit. I had a total of five friends. I have a very tiny, tiny network, which is why I had a very tiny net worth. And I had to learn every mentor I'd spoken to, listened to, read about, and Harbecker, the greatest mentor in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to become a people person. And it's like, no, I love data. I love analyzing. No, it's all people make the difference and how true that is. And so a lot of the acting to get out of my comfort zone it helped transition me into networking because I have to be around people. Right. And so I made it a purpose. I made um, meeting people a strategy. So it's like, okay, when I go out, I'm going to meet at least one person that I can personally connect with and make a really a lasting connection. And then I said, well, so many people we just meet. I had a same thing. I have a shoebox full of cards. And then I feel stupid, you know, Six months later, hi, remember when we met? Which is too far and you never follow up. And so I just said, we need to start something. I can stay in connection with people every single month thereafter. What is it? I don't know. I can't phone everybody. And that's when the newsletter was born. At the time, it was email. I remember uh, my first 20 and then my first 100. So I made goals. And so I want to, and then eventually I had my first 1,000 when I'm, and by the way, I personally cut and paste, attach, paste, send, cut, attach, paste, send, like 1,500 emails. Wow. It took eight hours to just send the emails out one by one because that's all I could do it. <laughs> I know. And it was my database was getting bigger and I go, I have to find a way. And this was at the time when um, these platforms were starting to come out, making right. it easier to send newsletters out. Oh, but I was fanatical. I would get up at four in the morning sending my newsletter out because it's that important, Dave. Hmm. It is that important to stay in connection with the people you meet and know. Well, because if you don't... Constant, consistent communication. That's the key right there. Consistency. Oh. So, okay. So, oh. what are you doing to make a living at this time? So, I mean... You, you... Oh, I was working at the city of Vancouver Yeah. as a, a clerk in the sanitation department. Uh-huh. But the thing is, it was very easy work. Like it, it wasn't eight hour a day work. I could finish all my boss's work in two hours. Then I had six hours left to do everyone else's job. And I was still doing real estate investing inside of all that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I would do real estate in the car on the way to work. And then my break, my lunch, my break, I'm doing real estate. I'm uh, going in, I'm looking at the classified ads. I'm phoning people about deals. I'm, I'm scheduling seminars like going to seminars i'm scheduling time interviews with real estate agents mortgage brokers but, but how did you get that spark about real estate in the first place what how did you go from being an employee and having that you know 
white well, defense lifestyle. I mean, I know you went through the six months of hell, but what was it that sparked your your passion for real estate? What was that? My second husband. Ah. <laughs> to be. Steve. Yeah. Nice. So we had met around the time I was making this transition, and uh, he wanted nothing to do with personal development at the time. But when he met Harv, everything changed. The guy literally changed our lives. And we learned about the Four Money Mountains, which is like real estate, um, infopreneuring, um, multi-level marketing, and something else. So Steve said, building a business takes a lot of time. It's a good five to seven year uptick before you start to actually get good at it. And that's if you're good. Mm -hmm. So forget the business for now. We'll leave big business for last. Uh, internet, MLM marketing, we're, I'm not really into multi-level marketing. I tried many, many didn't really work because I'm not into that stuff. Yeah. I don't have a personal connection with it. And doing residual like books, publishing, infopreneuring was very new. The internet market was so new. I've I once spent a hundred thousand dollars trying to learn how to monetize the internet. Didn't work. So I put that away. And uh, Steve said, real estate is easy. There's no barrier to entry. You don't need specialized knowledge to start buying real estate. You can just buy it. Mm. And I'm going, okay. So he said, that's the number one. We, we become experts in real estate first. And then once we have built up the cash flow and the, the equity base, then we can add the other money mountains as we go along. So he's the one that actually said, I've always wanted to go into real estate investing, but his ex-wives never wanted to do it. It was too uncomfortable. Is it, isn't that, I mean, looking back in 2020 hindsight, isn't it amazing the influence your partner, your spouse has. I mean, you hear about it. All the time, yes. You, you have don't to be realize it until that big D, D hits or, or something like that. <laughs> so it's interesting. One, one plus one, Stephen, um, we became like a lemon, the power of a lemon doing it. Yeah. And so I actually coached, as I'm sure you have, couples where one partner wants to do it and the other doesn't. And it's never successful. And in the end, when one becomes very successful, it ends up in divorce. Yeah. And so I always say, you both have to be on the same page if you want to be coached by me. And so, because I know the other person will totally drag you down, be an anchor, stonewall, and block any attempt at you being successful because they're so afraid. Yeah. I was uh, really wanting to do it, and so was Steve. We're going gangbusters together, just busting through all of our comfort zones together. And it's a lot easier when you have a partner there supporting you emotionally. So let's, let's uh, we're, we're taking a trip down memory lane here. So my recollection of your very first real estate deal was, didn't you get four or five friends to basically add very little money between them together yeah. and buy a single condo or something like that? Yeah. Isn't that how you got started? That was the very, very first deal. I never bought it, by the way, but... I found a townhouse in Langley, the Tri-Cities, and the owner wanted like $145,000, inc. And I had gone to a seminar, and there were like 30 to 35 people in this room. I met every single person. Hi, I'm July Ono. I'm a real estate investor. See my book? And I had a wire-bound binder, a wire-bound, and on each page, on one page I had the picture cut out, stuck on the page with all the little um, info, square footage, number of bedrooms, that kind of stuff, right? and the address. On the other page, I had my analysis as to does it cash flow, what's the rent, what, all the kind of stuff. And I had 68 pages of this, 67 pages of this, all no's. 
why it didn't work. Mm. And we could see that I had date, they were all dated, all numbered, big one, big two. And I spent six months going through 67 deals that didn't work. And believe me, after every deal I quit, oh, this real estate's too, it's too, it's too hard. hard. <laughs> it's just different, okay? Yeah. Every day I would get up and start again. So I quit and start, quit and start, quit and start. So finally I said, you know what, July, just stop quitting, just keep starting. Right. And so I kept going and going and guess what happened? You found one. I, I started seeing a correlation between the numbers because I'm not the best at math. But, you know, after doing this over and over and over and analyzing deals, I'm finally going, hey, when the building's worth this much, the rent's that much, I already know it doesn't work. So I was able to pretty much skip out the, all the properties that didn't work. And then finally, I think six months in, I'd gone looking at properties from Vancouver Island all the way to PEI to Nunavut, Alaska. Oh, my God. I went all across Canada looking for deals. And I realized way too big, too much. So I had to cut off the east. And I kept BC and Alberta. Okay. And guess what? Still too big. Mm -hmm. I can't be doing two provinces. So I had to cut Alberta out. And I focused on BC. Still too big. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, I have to find a market in BC where to invest where. So I started from the lower mainland, just on my block. And I realized, oh, too expensive. doesn't cash flow. And I kept going up. You know, went into the um, Kootenays, the Caribou. Oh. I just kept going up and up and up and up. And then finally, bingo, I hit... Prince George, Fort St. John, and Dawson Creek. And all of a sudden, the prices relative to the rents made, started making sense. And I actually flew up there to Fort St. John and Prince George to actually do the drive-bys myself. And that's when deal number, so I'm getting ahead of myself. The six people at the, at the I do everything on, on my little planner. Yeah. I said, what are you doing, Dave? Mm -hmm. Where's your real estate plan? Oh, okay. Well, you know, I got the excuses from everybody because no one had the book that I had. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, so I started taking pledges. So how much would you like to invest with me? I have this deal I'm working on right now, this townhouse in Langley. And so I collected like uh, 28 names with any amount from $500 to $10,000 on this list. So I got the names, the phone numbers, the amounts, and then I kept going. And I, at the end of the day, I actually had $90,000 pledged. Wow. Now, nice. not actual money, but pledged nice. to me. I'm going, wow, that made me feel really rich. It made me feel confident because I had zero dollars, zero. I'm like $40,000 in debt with no savings after my divorce. And it's like, wow, this is real collateral that I can actually use. So I went out there and negotiated with this townhouse. And so I went to make the offer. And so when I went down my list, I did not take all 28 people, could have. I just picked the, the five people with $10,000. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Like, I hope you didn't take too many $500. No, because yeah. no. that was the easiest to deal with the 5,000, the, the five people. And uh, the, the sixth person was me. And so they would all buy my share. And so we would be a six-way split with, with the five people with their money. That's how we were going to do the math on splitting right. this deal. And so the guy lied, actually lied to me. Because I, I went uh, to the home. He mm. told me the upstairs was rented for $900 and the bottom the suite was rented for $600, $1,500 a month rent. And I said, cool. So then I went to the city and asked him about, is this a legal suite? Apparently back then in the uh, time frame, they were all illegal suites. 
where there was no way to actually make it legal. So right. have that. And then when I went actually to the building on an off day, when the owner didn't know I was showing up, I'll just do my drive-bys. I stopped because there's a truck in the driveway. And I'm going, what's this person doing here? So I pulled up and I went walking into the building. I said, hi, thinking maybe he might be the owner. And no, it's a construction guy. And he's building a bathroom in the downstairs unit. I'm like, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm putting a suite in the basement here. Uh. What do you mean you're putting it in? I thought there already was one. No, there wasn't. So I, I called the owner up while I'm there. He said, hey, Michael, I thought you told me there was a basement suite. Oh, yeah, there is. That makes $600 a month. Are you sure? Oh, yeah, sure. So I'm standing in your basement suite right now. <laughs> and there is no $600 a month. But it's, oh, but it's going to make $600 yeah, a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to make. So there you have um, uh, the first lie. Then I got me to thinking, what else is he lying about? Of course, yeah. Right? That's a bald-faced lie. So, I mean, if you can do that. <laughs> and I already had that. So the earnest money was, I think, $500. One of the investors wrote it out. Of course, because I walked away from the deal, we got the money back, right? Mm -hmm. Got to do all that right. So that was our first deal. And, you know, if it had gone through, it still would have been a good deal. Yeah. Because that townhouse in Langley did double in value. So what was the first deal that went through with investor partners? The very next one, which was deal number 68. And that was a fourplex in Fort St. John. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is where um, our colleague, Darren Weeks, pointed out to me that I had received 67 no's until the 68th deal. And that created $34,000 equity day one. Because wow. it, was, it was appraised at $220,000 and I bought it for $186,000. That's a $34,000 difference on, on my net worth bottom line. Hmm. And so there in the quick math, he divided $34,000 by 68. It's $500 a no. Yeah, that's not too bad. <laughs> and I'm going, he says, you got paid $500 for every no. Did you, did you realize that, July? And I went, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm reframe. Yeah. So you see, every time I get a no, for me, it's like ka-ching, because I'm getting paid for every no. And it's not really rejection, which is why I don't, I handle rejection very differently today now. After right. that so how many investors did you have on that first deal? Um, two. Two. Nice. Me? Two of the same ones that signed up? No, nope, different. Different people. Okay. But it's it really got... a really sad story. It's a sad story and a happy story because remember um, on that list, yeah. I found the one investor with $40,000. Mm. Yeah. And she was uh, someone that I met at these seminars and wanted to go into real estate investing. We partnered together verbally. And I went to the whole thing. I did the deal, this fourplex worth $220,000, had the appraisal, we had the, and we, I negotiated down with the help of my mentor to what from, from what, 207 was the list price, got it down to 196, got it down to 192, finally bought it for 186. That was the, the net. And so, fantastic deal. I mean, and uh, interestingly enough, Steve, my, my husband today, he's the one that actually came up with the six profit centers in real estate. And later on, we expanded to seven profit centers in real estate. And he explained to me how to explain it to my investor, my, my money backer. And in the process of doing all this stuff and helping me uh, present my presentation, he's going, wow, this is a really great deal. If you didn't already have an investor, I'd take it myself. 
Who, who so, was this here? Steve? My Steve, yeah. Yeah, you're Steve. He was, okay. he was my mentor at the time. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now I'm getting it. Okay. <laughs> He's my secret mentor. At the time, we were just, you know, we just met. He wasn't really my date. Just friendly. Not that friendly. Yeah. He was just mentoring me. Got it. Uh, he then eventually became my husband, of course. Yeah. And so um, this girl that I had, uh, a woman, mm -hmm. I, I decided to choose a woman because I wanted to empower us. But she got cold feet the week before the closing. Ah. But, but the thing is, I learned my lesson. I didn't collect the money from her until after I had removed subjects. Uh-oh. So now I'm forced to close on this deal, and I have no money partner. So what do you do? I have to come up with $186,000 out of nowhere. It's like, okay, I'm the hoot. So I put on my, uh, my investor cap, point. I got to go out and find money. And then I remembered what Steve said. So I went back to him and said, hey, Steve. Remember when you said that this was such a good deal? If I didn't have an investor partner, you would buy in? Well, guess what? That person walked away. <laughs> it's available now. And you know what? For him, it was a no brainer. Just wrote out um, a check for $48,000. Was it $48,000? Yeah. And line of credit money, by the way, mm -hmm. since they're doing nothing. And he didn't hesitate. He jumped on it right away before I found another investor partner. Nice. And the whole deal worked out. And then 18 months later, I got an offer, an unsolicited offer from a realtor saying, I have clients. They're interested in buying your fourplex or interested in selling. And I remember something that Steve told me, never mention a figure, never. The other person has to mention the figure first. Yeah. That's how negotiating starts. And so the realtor asked me, how much are you willing to sell it for? And I said, remember what he said. I said, well, I have a partner. I'm not allowed to even, I can't even venture to think if we're even going to sell. But um, I'll have to call him first. But what were you planning on offering, if I may ask? And she mentioned a figure that was $100,000 more than I thought I was going to get. Like literally $100,000 more. Wow. I'm going, my jaw dropped. Good thing I'm on the phone because I'm going, oh my God, no way. How can a property go up that much in 18 months? I thought there was something screwy going on. So I called Steve up and I said, hey, I just got a call from this realtor and they want to buy the property for $370,000. Yeah, $186,370? But nice. how can it do that in 18 months? I'm going, I was thinking maybe $250,000. <laughs> it's still pretty darn good, right? I yes. Mean, it's been and it's a good thing I didn't mention it because already I would have cut myself out of a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, for sure. They eventually did buy it for three hundred forty-five, but still crazy. Yeah. And yeah. so with that seed capital, we weren't actually planning on selling it so soon because we had our plan to hold it for five years, refinance, and then take the equity out and buy another property. But at that time, we were actually consolidating our smaller portfolios and buying big buildings because it's just right. easier to manage. So it just worked out time-wise to go on to our next big property, and that's when Prince George came along. So getting back to raising capital, it sounds to me like at the end of the day, your husband, who wasn't your husband, was just a mentor at that time, was your very first investor, is that right? That, that actually yes. put money into a deal? Interesting. Yes. Yeah. And for him, it was a no-money-down deal. Yeah, for me, it was a no-money-down deal. Yeah. It's just amazing. Both of us did no money down. And um, 
and did very well with it. Yes. So and then my mother yeah. was also one of my first investors too in a multifamily. So marching ahead, you during this whole time, you're still networking, you're still doing all this kind of stuff. Talk to me a little bit about how you how you developed that core group of investors, because if I recall correctly, you kind of got a core group of investors that typically invest with you over and over again, and you kind of add on a little bit as you go along. And at the same time, you're growing up your, your database to thousands of people and sending everybody your, your newsletter. So how did you kind of do that and stay on the good side of the Securities Commission? Your well, you really, really have to be very uh, cognizant of the, uh, the Canadian Securities Commission and the BC Securities Commission. So I tell people that I'm, I'm private equity. And they go, what does that mean? Well, I'm not public, meaning I don't have an offering memorandum. I don't have a prospectus. Those documents cost thousands and thousands of dollars to create. Yeah, exactly. Right? Some prospectuses are so complicated. If I actually once read a prospectus, it was $200,000 just to make it. Mm -hmm. And so you, you don't even have any money at this point. It's all like spent on this document all designed to protect the public consumer from being defrauded. Like, you, have you read a prospectus? I couldn't stay awake. No, exactly. <laughs> it's like, what does all this thing, what does this mean? And it's a great thing that I was trained by another mentor on how to actually read legal documents. You take a highlighter and you highlight everything you don't understand. And the first time I did this, I read a prospectus. 99% of the document was highlighted. 99%. And all I could say was, I'm so stupid. And the answer is no, you just don't know what you don't know. Let's right. go through every single line item and find out what is it about the sentence you don't understand. And that's how you start learning by what you don't know. And so the average person does not know how to read a prospectus, let alone analyze it, hmm. which is really crazy, Dave, that we have these prospectuses designed to protect us. So what I do is as private equity, I can only go after people for money who are my close family, not estranged family close, but my aunt and uncle don't even qualify. Um, my close friends. And so the securities commission has a test. Close means do you exchange gifts at Christmas on their birthday? Do you know the birth dates and the names of all their children? Do you go to the ball game together? Like literally, this is how close friends are, right? I, I don't know the birth dates of my brother's kids for Carmel Love for Christmas. I mean, <laughs> I'd be really qualified. <laughs> and then close business associates. So people you work closely with, like, you know, um, they, they qualify. And anyone that's a stranger who you don't know, they have to be accredited. And so what does accredited mean? You have to go on to Google and type in the words National Instrument 45106, NI45106. And it, that document will put you to sleep too, but there's um, C, somewhere around CDEFG, there's criteria in there about accredited means that you have a million dollar net worth, or you have $5 million of assets, or you make $200,000 a year for the last three years, or between you and your spouse, you make $300,000 a year for the last three years. So that makes you accredited, meaning you're sophisticated enough to understand investments. And so those are the only people that I can take money from. If I take money from someone who doesn't fall in that category and the investment goes sideways and they lose their money, 
that investor has the ability to sue me mm. for misrepresentation, which is why I never take people like that. So that's why I'm very careful. Yeah, so you have to get close to people very, very quickly. Yes, very. Uh, or, <laughs> and believe me, there, there's one lady, a good friend today, when she found out, she actually saved up $70,000 to invest with me. She spent four years doing that. Wow. And then four years later, yes, she found me four years later. I'm going, out of a fluke, I'm going, how did you know I would even be at this seminar? She just said, I just had faith you would be there. <laughs> I was speaking at the event. And she came up to me at the very end. Once all the people had gone, she was the last person standing in the room. I says, hi, Jill, I remember me? And actually, I did. Totally remember this lady. And uh, she stood out. She's very unique. And she says, I, I did it. And I said, did what? I saved up the money. I'm going, what money? I saved up this money so I can invest with you. I'm going, I can't take your money. Oh. <laughs> I don't know you. Yeah. And she said, what do you mean? You're, well, you're not a close friend, you're not a close family, you're not a close business associate, and are you credited? No. And so I said, if you had, in that four-year interval of time, gotten to be my friend, then I could take your money. Guess what she did? She made her mission to be my best friend. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> she was like meeting me every day, and she wow. introduced me to her family. She really wanted to become my close friend because I, I wouldn't take her money. Right. And I said, I can't. It's illegal. And so I said, is there any way possible? I'm going, yeah, there's only one way. You have to become my close friend. <laughs> and so I got to meet her, all her family. And uh, even after, and I still didn't take her money for a couple of years. Hmm. Just to make sure that it wasn't some fad, some fanatical person stalking me. No, she's a very good friend to this day. Nice. And, uh, in, has invested in multiple properties. And she, she's also a very successful real estate investor on her own. So you eventually built up a portfolio of well over 500 rental units. That, I mean, I can't even, what's your best guess on how much capital you had to raise to purchase that portfolio? Oh, well, the largest one in Thunder Bay, um, the one of the portfolio, $3.1 million for one, uh, 200 units. And it was a 30 unit that was half a million. That sold out in 10 minutes, actually, mm -hmm. which was pretty cool. I just started going through my list in alphabetical order, and I had to stop after the fifth person. It's like, uh oh, they're all saying yes because <laughs> they know. So three million for one, and half a million for another. Pardon me? Yep. And then, uh, so I would say, oh, $4 million down to That's buy. Uh, plus, plus, you were looking. You were building a uh, apartment complex from scratch in Langley, which I think you had a bunch of investors on board for that. So, I mean, if you look at ten million for that one, ten million raised for that one. Yes, that one took a little longer. Yeah. We did, I did. I did three small raises over the course of a year. So, out of that fifteen to twenty million that you've raised, give or take, how many people does that represent? Forty-five. 45 investors? Okay. Because many of them reinvest. Of course. Yeah. Right. So the core is around, I would say, 15 to 20. So the, the biggest one in Langley is the most investors I've had, 45 people. Or actually, 45 shareholders. Shareholders. Some shareholders okay. are couples. So before that, it was you kind of had your core group of 15 to 20 investors. Is that what I'm understanding? 
Yeah. Yeah. So those 15 to 20, you're a self-proclaimed hermit before you got into acting and real estate and all that kind of stuff. How did you develop that relationship with those people? Are they family members or, or how did you kind of get it so that you were comfortable raising capital from these folks? Well, Dave, seminars. Yeah. Go out there and put on seminars. Uh-huh. And so, yes. So people want to meet you. They want to see you in person. And um, I would put on a seminar a week practically when I was in my heyday. Mm-hmm. And so I had my course, Hard Real Estate, Mm-hmm. And uh, that was once a month. And in order to get butts and seats to the seminar, I had my uh, free seminars, my evening seminars. I think on a Wednesday, Thursday, and I have my circuit. I go to Richmond, Burnaby, Surrey, and Vancouver. So these four places, once a week, I would be there just giving out my free advice about real estate investing and all those interesting things. So I had to create curriculum and have a Q&A and become very good at public speaking and that's where Harv's train the trainer program came in very, very handy. That's mm. everything that I do was based on the trainer trainer program. And so it's all about getting how to get people into the seats, how to deliver the information in a very accelerated learning environment, and then how to close at the end. Because you have to do all three. Right. So guess what? You can't farm that out. You have to do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I am the face of my brand. And so after you do uh, hundreds of those seminars, you get really good at talking to people. And I just love helping people. And um, when they're in a dilemma, the group is, is brilliant, right? Genius mind. You know, mm-hmm. That's what Napoleon Hill did with his master mind. Right. And so the seminars were just a, a venue to mastermind with lots of other like-minded people. I would just provide the venue and people would just show up. And eventually... You do this often enough, you become the trusted authority. And so within that group, we had a core group, the people who were the closest with, the, with money, who actually wanted to invest. Uh, not the looky-loos on the fringes wanting to invest. These people had money. Mm-hmm. And so when you identify those people, you take them out on one-on-one because they're special. Mm-hmm. You want to create a uh, rapport, lasting rapport. And that's why... Steve and me, we would set up house meetings. We would go to someone's home and have either a couple or, or two couples. One of our um, anchor investors, he actually, one day, we thought we we're just going to meet him and his wife. And he surprised us. We arrive and it's like, the room is full of like two dozen people. It's like, what's going on here? Well, he wanted to invite his family and friends, his close friends. because mm. He actually wanted to co-opt an investment that was coming and only have his personal friends involved. Wow. Yes. And guess what? It worked. <laughs> <laughs> he was able to uh, pretty much monopolize this one investment with only his. Because He said, if I want to be in here, I want my friends and family to be in on this deal too. Hmm. And so this one person just basically sold out a product that we have. And it's like, wow, he just cut out the work for me because, and that's when I went, oh, you bring one elephant to the well, and they like what they drink, they go away, and they bring the herd. And that really resonated with me, because instead of me just going one-on-one, doing lots of work, I found the one key person that I needed to connect with. And he would go out there, or she, and bring the rest of their herd back. That's, I wrote that one. I bring one, one elephant to the well, and they bring back the herd. That, that's a, yes. 
Oh, thanks. I don't know came up with that. Is that your? Well, I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah, but it's like, um, I heard that. I like that. I would really like to quote where I learned that from. Probably Robert McKay. Um, build your well before Harvey McKay. Build your well before you drink it. Maybe okay. he's the one that uh, wrote that. Yeah, I don't think so. And, and actually, Harvey swiped that from Confucius for quite a lot. Oh, oh, did he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, his title of his book. Yes, okay. Yeah. So, Anyhow, yeah, very, 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 very cool. So, July, you've been uh, you've been very successful at real estate, and interesting to hear how you started teaching and training and and all that kind of cool stuff. Very, very cool. Very smart strategy there. Um, now you've worked with a lot of people. You've been a mentor. You talk about you being getting mentored, but I know you have personally mentored many people as well. So you know by now that not everybody is July owner, right? You know by now that most people aren't going to go out and take acting lessons. Most people aren't going to go out and create, analyze 67 deals over, over six months and, and create a little binder. And you know, most people aren't going to, you know, just take the massive action that that you've had that you have and most people aren't looking to build the kind of portfolio you built either so knowing that when you're working with your clients and, and i'm not talking about the superstar clients that want to emulate exactly what you're doing but the students that that you know want to buy their next deal they want to create a, a smaller mm -hmm. portfolio what advice do you give them about raising capital, finding investors, that sort of thing? What do you suggest? I have, them I have way more of those clients than the superstar. Of course, yeah. yeah. Yes. And so when the students came to our, my course, they were only wanting to, they had their goal. Because you have to have a why. Well, I already told everybody, because I learned this the hard way. If you have a what goal, the first obstacle is going to stop you. But your why goal is going to take you through to the end. So why do you want to be financially free? And so I would answer, like, I want my wife to quit work. I can't stand it that we both have to work and our kids are, uh, we have to put our kids in daycare. So there's a huge emotional connection with that. And I'm like, that's a great why. So you're working to get this portfolio so you can, you can retire your wife. Fantastic. And another uh, investor said, I really want to quit my job so I can go overseas and help in an orphanage. My wife, that's an excellent why. And because he probably had a personal connection there. So the better the why and the more emotional the why, I already knew that they would be a success. And sure enough, within two years, these people had, were able to retire their wives and they were done. That's all they needed. Right? right, And they started with local money. They went to their family and their friends. It's all you need. You just need to know how to leverage money. You don't need a lot. That's right. all. So right? how, do you, how do you coach, if you don't mind sharing a little bit, what advice do you give or what suggestions do you give to people about how to approach their friends and their family if they're just, you know, because here's the experience, July. Yep. Everybody's scared fitless of asking for the money, right? Yourself excluded. But everybody else is just so nervous about that. They get weird about it. They screw it up. You know, you, like you were talking about earlier, they, it's all, they focus too much on what's in it for them, not what's in it for the yeah. other people. So how do you, how do you, so this is how I do it, Dave. breaking that, that it's yeah. not about asking for the money. Mm -hmm. It's, it's teaching and educating someone to the point where they ask you, can I invest with you? So I don't even have to ask people for the money usually for the most part, they all want to invest. That's the best scenario. And how you do this is educate. So the bulk of my program was, was train the trainer. 
I was actually training every investor to become an educator. That's the number one that they had to do. And so it's like, you never go into trying to sell a deal to anybody. It's simply not going to work because there's the majority of people do not know how finances work. They do not know how real estate works. I can tell you my banker, my realtor, my mortgage broker, I had a lot of these people in my courses because they had no idea how to invest in real estate mm -hmm. and they didn't know how it worked. So right. if even they don't know how it works, how can you explain this to an investor? Right. So it's like, stop, stop, stop. Just copy me, teach people about the seven profit centers in real estate. Did you know there are seven profit centers in real estate, Dave? Seven. I thought there were eight. <laughs> there might be, but there's only seven for me. Okay. And so, the, the one so I, I, I remember for me was reinvestment. That's the, that's the one. That, that's, that's number seven. And so I would say, did you know, like, tell so Dave, do you have money in um, like a savings account or a GIC or term deposit? Yeah, I would say the majority of us do. Mm -hmm. And uh, how's it working for you? Interest payment, 1%. Well, that 1% interest is one profit center, the interest. Real estate has seven ways that it leverages the money, which is why all the wealthy put their money into real estate. So I would like, would you like me to uh, explain to you how the seven profit centers work? So you have to ask first, would you like me to explain? Otherwise, if you're not interested, pass. If they really are, glommed on to you. They really want to know. So uh, then my next question to you is, so Dave, are you familiar with a matador in a Spanish bull ring? With the fighter, in the, in the cape, with the, with the red cape and the, and the spear. Yeah, well, let's just take the spear out. And the bull in the fighting ring, right? So the matador, we have a name for him. And his name is El Cipitar. Can you repeat that for me, please? His name. El Cipitar. Yes, his name is El Cipitar. El Cipitar is an acronym for the seven profit centers in real estate. So when you want to remember the seven profit centers, just think of the matador, El Cipitar. E-L-C-P-T-A-R. So it's very simple. E is equity, day one. L is leverage. C is cash flow, no L-C, yeah, cash flow. P is principal pay down. Mm -hmm. T is tax benefits. A is appreciation and seven is reinvest equity. I have to say L-C-P-T-A-R in my head. Yeah. And then that's my elevator pitch, L-C-P-T-A-R. And so I'm educating you on the seven profit centers. Now, if that elevator pitch intrigued you, you go, hey, wait a minute. Would you mind getting off the elevator and telling me more? Or they'll just go away. So if that doesn't interest you, it's a pass. That person's not interested in real estate. But if it does, then I have my five minute, my napkin. I get a napkin, explain the LCP card on a napkin. And so you just get a napkin. And then I just write down E-L-C-P-T-A-R. So down the side, I write E-L-C-P-T-A-R down the side. Right. And then I write out equity, leverage, cash flow, principal pay down, tax benefits, appreciation, reinvest equity on the napkin. Exactly what I said, I actually write it down for them. And then I kind of give them my story. So I draw a little house. So all this, I've trained people to do exactly what I did. I draw a little house, which is a fourplex. So this is my first fourplex story that I tell them. And it's just very simple math. I go, houses appraised at 220K, houses listed for 207K, buy house for 186K. <laughs> Difference, 
$34,000 equity day one. That's profit center number one. Yeah. Where else can you get $34,000? Like that's more than my salary at the city of Vancouver <laughs> in a year. So I'm going, wow. And so that is the most important profit center, equity day one. If there's no equity day one, I pass, I walk away. And these are all in order of importance because if the equity is not there, there's no point. And so when you're looking at this building, uh, this, this fourplex, it was bringing in $2,800 a month at the time. And approximately with, with my mortgage of $747 a month, plus interest tax on utilities, $320 a month. So it's netting approximately almost $2,000 a month. So $34,000 divided by $2,000, divided by $2,000. That's 17 years, no, it's up $2,000 a month. 17 months to get the 34,000 equity. I would have to own the fourplex for 17 months just to break even. That's why it's so important to get the equity they want. So when I'm explaining just this one profit center, I'm looking at their response to me. Are they engaged? Are they going, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. This is fantastic. Or are they just going, oh, that's just numbers. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm gauging their interest. How coachable are they? How interested are they? Are they interested in just investing with me or do they want to invest themselves? So I once spent 18 hours interviewing an investor. I didn't know. He just called me up and said, July, I heard about you from Dave DeVoe, <laughs> I think. And I'm going, who are you? I want to invest with you. I'm going, who are you? I don't know anything about this guy. So I, I, over the course of a few days, I interviewed him. He was interviewing me. I was actually interviewing him because I didn't know who he was, if he's even accredited, and why. I have to know his. And so the whole thing is about getting people to their why. Why? So at first, I was just training him. I thought he was coming to me for advice to become a real estate investor because mm. he asked him some very uh, specific questions about a deal he was working on. So I gave him all my time, and I helped him for how to do the deal and what he should be looking at. And then all of a sudden, about halfway through, he, this 18 hours, around hour 12 of 18 hours, he changed. He says, man, I think I'd rather invest with you, Joy. <laughs> it's easier. Talking about, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's a lot of work yeah. to go into all this stuff, and you can do it. But it's like, how much work did you want to He actually, at the time, didn't want to do all that work. He did later on mm -hmm. go and do something on his own. But uh, it's like, okay. And he turned out to be quite a lovely person. That's good. That's good. That's, that's what you need to, that's why, um, yeah, so it's all about helping the other person with their agenda first. And I thought he wanted to become a real estate investor. I gave him the seven profit centers. I told him how to analyze a deal, mm -hmm. how to make sure cash flows, how to leverage his money, what kind of banks to go to, what mortgage broker to, to go to, that kind, of, that kind of thing. And then um, I think he was contemplating the whole thing, all the work it required, and he was a full-time employee, right? So he doesn't have a lot of spare time. And when do we, when can he go to the bank? And when can he do this? Well, you know, that's something you have to arrange if you really want it that bad. And he says, you know, I'd just rather give you the money for the next deal. Nice. Like, wow. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. Do you really understand the seven profit centers? And then that time, that's when I go into my, I go from educator to investor mode. And I teach people. So once I teach people the seven profit centers in real estate, then and only then do I explain a deal. There's no point in explaining how a deal works if your client really doesn't understand 
how it works. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will lie. Do you understand this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they don't no. want to seem stupid. They don't no. want to look stupid. Exactly. They don't. So you don't want to uh, even bring them close to admitting the truth there that they really don't know because they appear dumb and then they're embarrassed. Mm-hmm. So I just tell people off the get-go, my bank manager doesn't even know how real estate works. Real estate uh, agents don't know how real estate works. Mortgage brokers don't really know how real estate works. They do their jobs really well, but they have no concept of how real estate works. I've had dozens, hundreds of these people in my courses and in my seminars because they, they want to find out how it works. And so when I finally get comprehension, and I'm like, oh, and you know how you do it, how comprehension works? I take a personal story and put it into the LCP tar. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dave, you have a parent that bought a house. What, what, did your parents ever own a house? Sometimes they see they rented. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, how much was it worth? So like my family, my dad bought his house in 1987 for $134,000. This is in Vancouver, right? Tawasin. Yeah. That house is, you know, worth a million now, but at the time in 1987, it was, it was $134,000. Which was a lot of money in, in 1987, right? But yes, not uh, a million bucks. Yeah. No, that was a lot. In a high-end neighborhood because it was over 100, not under 100. <laughs> is that crazy? Talking today. And so I'm telling my family story because he's not a real estate investor. But because my dad believed in at least owning a house, that is an investment. And it actually saved my family's life, mm-hmm. literally, out of financial ruin. Because they held on to that house for 17 years. 19... Um, oh, 99? No, uh, what was it? By Pine Valley. 2006, sorry. 2006, and it was 1987. Yeah, 19 years. 19 years! Oh. So he held on to the house for 19 years. He paid down the mortgage, refinanced. At the end, in, in 2006, he had, uh, I think, a very nominal $30,000 left on the mortgage because he kept doing blended mortgages and all kinds of stuff, take, take the equity of the house and buy stuff. It was a bad deal. But in the end, the house was worth $575,000. So let's see, uh, let's, let's call it, I'll just round up to 50000 for uh, nice round numbers. That's $525,000. Okay, guess what I could do with $525,000? I invested it in two buildings. Nice. From that point on, just one share each. Uh, retired them for life. Beautiful. The cash flow, they were able to finally have a decent living because their expenses were so much per month, they were slowly going into debt every month. Mm-hmm. And when I took over my dad's finances, he had $20,000 on a Sears credit card mm-hmm. at 28.8% interest. And he was barely making the interest payments, yeah. not, not even touching the principal. This completely freed their lives up. And it's like, when I tell, that's my family story. And I'm going, Take your story. Just imagine the equity value just of owning a property for that length of time. Just time value. Yeah. The, the property. So that's exactly, no, that's brilliant how you do that. So you got it, you got your acronym, you got it in order of priority for you. You make sure that the prospective investor shows some interest in that first, then you educate them about that using personal stories so that it, it really resonates before you even show them the deal. 
or it creates the bridge. So I don't want just my story. My story is like a, a just to kind of pave the way to make a really true bridge. You get them to tell their story mm. and you put it into the LCP tar. Some people say, oh, my parents never owned, they only rented. I said, that's fine. So the house they rented, what do you think, they, how much were they paying rent? Okay. And then how much would the property work? You can probably get around a rough ballpark value on it, right? You have to be able to enroll them in their own story. And once they take ownership of that, LCP tar comes to life. Yeah, it that's takes good. on a completely different, it's not numbers anymore. Mm. It's their life. It's emotional. It's, yes. It's that emotional. And so if, unless you make that emotional transition, it's simply a head, a head deal. Yeah. Really? And to really get the investors in, invested in you, it's head and heart. Smart. Smart. July, we got to wrap things up time-wise here. I really appreciate wow. it. If you're open for it, definitely love to have you on the show again. And that time, uh, I'd like to talk with you about how you find your deals. We won't get into it this time, but obviously you've done a lot of deals over the years. It's how to find those good ones, how to, you know, you're, you're always an expert at at analyze them. So thank you so much for your input and your experience and your wisdom on attracting investors, raising capital. If people want to know more about July Ono, and I highly recommend is get a copy of your book is if that's still available, what's the best way to do that? <laughs> oh, I suppose you should email me July at autbeck.com. I am working on my second book, by the way, the seven profit centers in real estate. Nice. Yeah. So it'll be all over my email or my newsletter. And I do have a newsletter, July News, that goes out every single month. And if you want, you can just email me, say I'd like to subscribe because it's permission-based. Okay, perfect. So just reach out to you by email, July at otbec.com. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Which stands for On the Beach Education, if I'm not mistaken. That's true. It is. <laughs> July, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Dave. All right, take care. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. We very, very much appreciate it. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at Investor Attraction Demo. Dot com. Take care.